nevertheless, though, there is a word that has to be preached today. And, you know, we have been walking through the book of Psalms, and my plan was for us to rejoin back together and, and speak about a, an important element in the life of every Christian, which is forgiveness. And I understand, listen, the world may hear this message and think, well, I, that's stupid or that's too passive or that doesn't get anything done. But as Christians, we are called above all things to forgive. We are called specifically to forgive because we have been forgiven. We have been forgiven. And it is not forgiveness that happens because we are innocent, but it is forgiveness that happens because we were very much guilty in our sins. But we have been forgiven because of the death of Jesus Christ. Not only have we been forgiven, but he has set for us the example to forgive. What was that example? That example was that while Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, being crucified by his oppressors, the greatest injustice known to man was Jesus Christ being crucified, an innocent man who gave us his righteousness while he took on our sins. And while he is dying before his oppressors, he looks up to God and he does something amazing. He prays for them. And he asks God, he says, God, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Jesus Christ has given us the perfect example of forgiveness. And that is the only thing that I can offer right now to you because I know Like I have seen, you have seen the injustice of the world. You have seen the sin and the offense of the world. And I know that you are angry, but I do not want you to be driven into sin. I believe that Satan is using issues like this to divide us intentionally. People, Christians, who should otherwise be so bonded together by the blood of Jesus Christ are being divided over secondary identity issues. And that is exactly what he wants to do. Listen, we have to understand that this is the plan of Satan and has been the plan of Satan since the beginning of time. Even in the garden, it was not just that Satan was dividing the relationship of Adam and Eve from God, but he was also seeking to divide the relationship of Adam and Eve with one another. That is what he does. He divides and he conquers. That sin trickled down to their own children, Cain and Abel, by which Cain slew Abel. He divided them. That is what Satan does. But that only happens in the midst of resentment and unforgiveness. And it is a bitterness in our souls when we will not forgive one another. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a, at a text, a passage of scripture that maybe you know, maybe you don't know, called Philemon. And in the book of Philemon, there are some amazing things that happen that we learn about what forgiveness actually looks like in the life of a Christian. And that's what I want to examine today. I want to be candid. I want to be open. I want to be honest. But I want you to do the same thing within yourself. Acknowledge what you are feeling. Acknowledge the anger that you feel. Acknowledge the frustration that you feel and let Jesus Christ get a hold of it and turn your heart of anger into a heart of forgiveness. Let's look at what the word says. 
in Philemon. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Epiphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Final greetings. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father God, it is time for us to jump into this word. And this is a, an enveloping word, God, that will invoke, evoke a lot of emotion, a lot of introspection to us, for us to look inside of ourselves to see who we really are, God. In this moment, God, give us the grace and show us the mercy that we need to be able to not just repent of our own sins, but to forgive those who sin against us as we are commanded to do in the Lord's prayer. Give us grace and understanding. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in this letter... This is one of Paul's most uniquely written letters as he writes this letter specifically to this one man on this one account. And he is writing this to Philemon. Now, 
I bet you are wondering who Philemon is and where he comes from because he appears out of nowhere and then we don't see any mention of Philemon again. Well, let me give you some clarity. So Philemon is a man that Paul had met prior to a few years before. And in his meeting him, he was led to Christ through the ministry work of Paul. Paul had been going on on through missionary journeys and when he got um, in, in relationship with Philemon, he finally witnessed to him and he drew him into Christ. Now, not only did he do that and not only does he see the firsthand fruitful evidence of his relationship with God, but he mentions two people in the house church that Philemon was leading. He mentions his wife and he mentions his son. Now, when he does this, he shows that not only had he witnessed to Philemon, not only had Philemon grown up, but he had also become a leader in the church. And he calls him a fellow worker, a beloved brother in the gospel. This is a faithful man, a co-laborer of Paul's who had been working because of the efficacious love of Jesus Christ displayed to him. He had been displaying the love of Christ to everyone else. Not only that, though, the Bible tells us here that when Paul had, Paul had heard about the work and the graciousness of one Philemon. And so when he opens the letter, he opens so gentle and so considerate of all the work that Philemon had done, so much so that even though Paul was incarcerated in a prison, and not just any prison, he's incarcerated in a prison by which all of the town's sewer runs through that prison. So while he's in prison, he is absorbing all of those, those horrific odors and he speaks to Philemon and says, even in my imprisonment, a prisoner first of Jesus Christ, by the way, he says, your work has encouraged me. I've heard of the good that you have done. Now, why is he addressing Philemon? This is the interesting part. Philemon had a slave and that slave ran away from him. Not only did that slave run away from him, but he actually stole some of his possessions when he ran away. Now, this isn't a political statement. This, isn't, this has nothing to do with the actual act of slavery, because in this time, it was actually quite common to have slaves. Many people had slaves, and slavery was not based on the race of the person, but it was more so based on a debt or a service that they, had to, that they owed or they had to render to a person. So it was not uncommon that you may see a lawyer or a doctor who served as a slave, as a servant inside of a person's house. Now, by this point, um, many of the, the masters of the house were, were decent to their slaves, and many of them allowed them to work off any debts they had so they would eventually be free. So we know that this is not just some racial or ethnic difference here, and so he has him as a slave, but rather he probably owed a debt to him. And more so than just a slave, he was a servant inside of his house. But one thing we notice here is that Paul is not condemning the fact 
that he had had this man in his house, which means that even when Onesimus gets to Paul, he does not let Paul know of any egregious act that had been committed to him because of Philemon. In fact, part of the testimony of Philemon's good character would have come from the slave that ran away from him. Now, when this happens, he comes to him and he converts him. And so there's a commonality here between Philemon and Onesimus, the man who had just committed an atrocious act. And just so you understand, in, in that time, according to what he had done in Roman law, not only did he run away and did not fulfill the service or debt that he had to render, but he also stole from his master. And the charge that was against him had a penalty of death. So according to what Onesimus had done, he could have died according to Roman law. But at some point during Paul's imprisonment, Onesimus crosses his path, much like Philemon had done, and he witnesses to him. Now, what we see in verses 4 through 7, and this is going to be like a point for us today, is we see the character of one who forgives. We see the very nature of a forgiving person. And the best way I can describe that for you is that a forgiving person is a forgiven person. Only the people who know what great grace and mercy they have received and forgiveness they have received at the hands of God know that they have to as well forgive. And so if they do not display the same mercy and grace that they have displayed, that they have had displayed to them in God, they are doing a disservice to their Christian testimony. So when Paul is describing the character of Philemon, he is doing so knowing that Philemon is leading a life devoted to spreading the gospel Christian ministry. Paul knows that anyone who labored the way that Philemon had labored in the gospel, anyone who had devoted his life to spreading the truth and displaying the love of Christ would not be able to forsake all of that over one sinful act that was committed by, well, a sinner. The person who forgives, and I mean truly forgives, not a lip service, not just, oh, I forgive you, but the person who truly forgives knows how undeserving they are of forgiveness in the first place. When we become Christians being forgiven, we know that we didn't deserve to forgive. Forgiveness will never be about a matter of whether or not that person deserves to be forgiven. If you think that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven, then you must also know that you don't deserve to be forgiven. Yet, we are. And because we are forgiven beyond what we deserve, we forgive beyond what we think others would deserve as well. They know that they have received far better from God, the person who forgives, than what they deserve. And so what they do when you know that you have been forgiven and have had the punishment that was due to you placed on another person, you will not condemn other people in judgment because of what they did to wrong you. 
no matter how egregious the act. Because remember, as Jesus is being crucified by his offenders, he does not condemn them. He forgives them. See, in times like these, when we see great offenses, I know what we want to do. We will scream justice, and there are two sides to justice. But there is one set of justice punishments that are awaiting all of us that we should not want anyone to suffer through. And that is that any of us who reject Jesus Christ will burn for an eternity in hell. And if you are a Christian, there is not a single person you should hope would burn. Well, you say, well, you don't know. You don't know how difficult this is and you don't know what act and they did this and they did this. But The word has told us that if God says that he would, that no one perish, how could we then be greater than our master? The fact of the the matter is just this, is that the reality of the person who forgives knows that they have been forgiven. And they will not hold unforgiveness over the head of anybody. And let's be honest, we know the trickle-down effect of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness goes from unforgiveness to resentment to flat-out hate. And that bitterness stays inside of our hearts. And every time we see that person, it it satisfies us to let them know just how we have not forgiven them. Now, when Paul appeals to Philemon, he lets him know he could make him do what he wants him to do. That's the interesting thing here. Paul is an apostle according to the Lord. The Lord made him an apostle, which means he gave him the authority to command and demand. And Paul lets him know, he says, I could tell you to do this, but I won't do it. Wait a minute. Why doesn't Paul just tell him, look, just just do what you know is right. And I'm telling you to do. Why doesn't he do that? He says, I'm going to tell you why I didn't do that. The reason why I did not instruct you in what to do was for the sake of love. Now, why does he say this? He knows this. He knows that if you try to command forgiveness out of anybody, While he may have demanded and commanded Philemon to treat him right, just because he was treating him right did not mean that he had forgiven him in his heart. Let's be honest. We all know that there are different situations that we have all been involved in whereby we don't forgive the person, but we don't let them know that we haven't forgiven them. Forgiveness is not merely what you do. It is what is in your heart. And Paul knows this. It cannot have an objective. There cannot be any other motivation to forgiveness other than you want to free that person. If forgiveness happens as an obligation, then it's not forgiveness at all. Paul appears for the appeals for the sake of his love for Onesimus and the love Philemon had for God. 
See, for the Christian, love is not something that we can turn off. We cannot direct our love and choose who we love and ignore others. I know we think we can, but we can't do that. To do so violates everything that the gospel itself stands for. So what Paul is saying here is profound, and it, is, it should likewise make us think. You say you're a believer, right, Philemon? I believe you are. But let's prove it. I won't make it easy for you, but if you really believe, I won't have to. I'm not going to command you on what to do. I'm going to appeal to your heart. Paul calls Onesimus his child, and he tells Philemon that though he was previously useless to him, he had become useful for Paul. Now, what he's saying is he says, listen, when he was in your house, all Philemon, all Onesimus was, was a slave. He was nothing more. And I'm not saying you treated him wrong. I believe you treated him right. But he was just a slave. But for me, he has now become a fellow like you, a fellow laborer in the gospel. And he has become of great use to me. And then he says, and I could have kept him. In fact, I think he said I would have kept him. But I didn't. I didn't keep him. But let me tell you why I didn't keep him. I didn't keep him so that I could send him back to you so that you would still be honored. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Paul says he's useful to me, useless to you, but I'm sending him back. Listen, what does Paul not do here? Paul doesn't say, because this man should be free, I'm standing against what you've done to this man, and it's an egregious act, and he shouldn't be in bondage. No, Paul doesn't do that. Paul says that I am going to send this man back to you. Why would he send a man back to Philemon who had wronged him? I can tell you why. Because forgiveness cannot be a matter of out of sight, out of mind. One of the challenges of us forgiving is having to see those who have offended us. It is having to have conversations. It is having to dwell with, to cohabitate with the very people who have offended us. If you can only forgive a person as long as you don't see them, you have not forgiven them. And that's what he said. He says, for this reason, I am sending him back to you. Now, that brings us to our second point here, and that's the complexity of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just this simple matter about which you flip a switch that says forgiven, but it is complex and it comes with layers. But the whole, the whole of this letter is about one thing, and that is forgiveness. Paul is not trying to make some overall broad statement about what is wrong with slavery or why it's an injustice. And I'm not saying that he thought it was or thought it wasn't. But to make a broad statement about the totality of slavery in that moment would have neglected the ability to find a resolution between these two now brothers. And so instead of trying to make some broad statement about everything else that's going on, Paul addresses the two men that he has before him. When Paul first met Onesimus, 
he realized that he belonged to his brother Philemon. Now we know that Paul, the first thing Paul would have asked of, of Onesimus is, how did he treat you? Did you run away because of, because of Philemon's abuse? Did you run away because he mistreated you? Did you run away because he did something wrong to you? Because he knew who Philemon was. He had won him to Christ and he didn't want to have anybody that he was calling a brother to be mistreating any slave in his house. But what we gather from here is that he tells him, no, he didn't abuse me. He didn't mistreat me. In fact, we can probably deduce that he was treated quite well in the house of Philemon. And so what Paul probably did is he uses the sin that Onesimus committed to help him realize the wretchedness of his own heart. And he draws him to Christ in a moment where he could have defended him, when he could have said anything about justice or injustice or this or that. He gave Onesimus the gospel. When he gives Onesimus the gospel, it forces Philemon to forgive him even if he didn't want to. Because the man that was once outside of fellowship with Philemon is now a brother in the faith. That is why he can open with such a demonstrative statement about the character of Philemon. But why does Paul send him back? He says that I'm returning Onesimus to you so that if you do anything good, it is not because you were forced to do it. He says so that I send him back to you. If I kept him away from you, then your goodness would have been of my account. You would have only done right by him because you never had an opportunity to do wrong by him. But I'm taking the man that offended you. I'm taking the man that stole from you. I'm taking the man that committed a crime against you. And I'm sending him back to you so that you can decide whether or not you're going to be offended, angered, frustrated, abusive, vindictive, or are you going to forgive? What I want everybody to see, if you have not gathered this yet, is that we cannot just forgive when it is convenient for us to forgive. Forgiveness pains us, but it takes us so much further in our relationship with God when we do. And I've heard other people make this mistake and say, well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and forgive because I need to do it for me and I, I want to be at peace and I want to do all this stuff. But you're ignoring the fact that forgiveness also frees that person. See, if you, if you forgive them as a means to get rewards points with God, you are not truly forgiving them. If you forgive a person merely because you feel like that's the only option you have, you are not really forgiving that person. It is not until you realize that you have to forgive in order to be forgiven. And it doesn't matter what the offense is. Unforgiveness is a sin. 
So when we all stand before God and we have anger and hatred and resentment towards anybody for any reason, for any offense, God will not justify because of that person's sin. He will look at our hearts, not theirs. You can't just get over it, move on, and not address it. And that's what Paul is showing Philemon. Now, why is Philemon the example? Because he knew Philemon had exceptional Christian character. And even though that man had wronged him, he knew that he would do right by him. If you are going to be a noble person in Christ, your forgiveness, your charity, your generosity, anything you do for God cannot be self-centered. It has to be motivated out of a heart that has been changed, transformed by God. Why do you think the Bible tells us that it is those who show mercy who will obtain it? When the Bible talks about, and I've said this before, but I want to make sure everybody hears this because we often quote this scripture out of context. But when Jesus talks about giving right before he says the statement, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, run over, shall men give into your bosom. What he talks about right before he talks about that is forgiveness, mercy. So what he's saying is you show forgiveness and mercy and it will be shown back to you. We have to forgive even in the midst of great offense. And what we see in the world is great offense. Lives are being lost. People are being killed. But you cannot be more offended by the fact that a person died than you are by the sin that caused that person to lose their life in the first place. Because the sin is what drove the person to commit the act they committed. You say, well, yeah, they are racist. That, that's a sin that has to be saved, that has to be redeemed. And as long as we are angry at people, we will never give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. We will never do right by them. We will never get that bitterness and anger out of our hearts. And let's be realistic. We are far too human and far too carnal to just focus that attention on that one person. But what happens when you don't forgive people of a certain race, of a certain occupation, of a certain gender, then you will make generalizations in your carnality about everybody that represents that race or that occupation or that gender. Forgive. Forgive. It will draw them to Christ. It is the love of Christ that we must display that drives us to forgive when we want to be offended, when we want to be angry, when we want to sin, when we want to execute justice in our own capacities, when we want to be vindictive, when we want to avenge ourselves. We must forgive. If you are above forgiveness, 
you are below being forgiven. If you are a Christian, you have been called to forgive. That is it. You have been called, commanded to forgive. We must forgive. In the climate that we are in, in this world, I know that it is difficult. I know that it is challenging. But no one has ever been won to Christ because of hate, because of anger, because of resentment. They are one to Christ because we saw beyond that person's deeds and we saw the sin that was in their hearts and we forgave them. And even if that specific person is not saved because of your forgiveness, you are letting your light shine. What does the Bible say? Let your light so shine before men so that they will see your good deeds, but glorify God, which is in heaven. When you don't forgive, it's all about you. It's all about you being offended. It's all about you being angry. It's all about you being hurt. But when you forgive, you can tell people, I'm doing this because of Jesus Christ. I'm forgiving you because he's forgiven you. I'm forgiving you because I've been forgiven. No, I don't think you deserve it, but neither did I. And that's why we do it. Because the same forgiveness that drew me into the sweet arms of my Savior, I pray, will do the same for you. Let's pray. Father God, um, forgiveness is hard, it is challenging. It is, it makes us vulnerable. At times, it's embarrassing because we are overlooking great offenses, God. But I can only imagine what Jesus must have felt hanging on a cross. seeing his offenders, seeing their sin, seeing my sin, and still interceding anyway. Still deciding to forgive. And seen beyond our sin. That's all we can do, God. And we pray for your grace to be able to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.